I'm wanting to talk about our time. I'm wanting to talk about our time. And, uh, but it's also Valentine's Day, so let me just start with a, a little bit of something on that. Um, there once was a young man, and he'd asked a young woman to go out on a date with him. And so she's at home, and she's gotten all ready. She's, she's, she's all dressed up, and she's, she's just ready to go. The time has come for him to come and pick her up. And uh, so he, uh, or she's there, and she's waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and it's like an hour and a half goes by. And she's like, I think I've been stood up. He didn't show up, that's for sure. I, I think I've been stood up. And so she, she, she changes out of her dress and her heels, and she gets into, like, you know, just her, you know, casual clothes and, and slippers, and, you know, she just pops some popcorn in the microwave, and then she goes and flips on the TV, you know, and starts surfing Netflix, see if she can find something to watch, and she's just sort of sitting down and getting relaxed and, you know, resigned herself to this is how it is. And then the doorbell rings. And so she goes to the door, and there's the guy. He's standing there, and she's looking at him, and he's looking at her, and he says, I can't believe it. I'm two hours late, and you're still not ready. (laughs) Maybe file that under what not to do if you're the guy. Now, unlike the guy in the joke, I want to be a little bit careful today when I talk about how we use our time because our lives are often very different and you know your your how you use your time is different even at life stages some of you uh you're um you're a single person living along you maybe have more time on your hands than maybe someone who's uh got a few toddlers under the age of three or something like that right i don't know i I don't want to even compare because it's sort of dangerous here's the thing I don't want to be too critical about how people use their time because I know that as that finger points out towards others, there's four pointing back at me, and this is an area where I struggle. It's quite challenging for me to manage my time well, and I know I can do better in this area. So I don't want to be too critical today, and I hope you don't find this as a criticism today at all. I hope you find it as a challenge and an encouragement, and that it will hopefully be helpful for you spiritually and practically to think about how you use your time. We're in a series called Believe. We'd spent 10 weeks talking about what do Christians believe? What are their basic beliefs? And then we've taken 10 weeks and we're into the eighth week out of 10 in saying what do they practice? What do they do? What do Christians actually do? And so we went through a whole bunch of practices and now I'm on uh, the 18th week of, of this whole series and I'm get to talk about offering my time offering my time. So the question is this, how do I best use my time to serve God and others? And the answer that's been given is this, I offer my time to fulfill God's purposes. Here's the verse that is our key verse for today. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father, thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, I was reading the message, you know, paraphrase of it, and he just says it very similarly, but a little different. He says, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. So I would, first thing you should probably ask if, if you're being proposed that you should use your time 
or offer your time to fulfill God's purposes in your life is why. Why should I do that? And uh, the, the Bible's rationale for this shows up again and again and again. Um, uh, where Colossians 3.17, our key verse, is, was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. And so the people there, they uh, were receiving this letter from him, and so he says this thing about, you know, all that you do, you know, do it all in the name of Jesus, do it all for him, uh, everything, your words, your deeds, your whole life, you know, make it dedicated to him. But how did he get to that conclusion? Well, most, a lot of Paul's letters have this sort of same um, rationale in it. It starts out in the first half of the letter, usually the first few chapters are dedicated to saying, um, this is what God has done for us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So he has, he has um, undone the consequences. He has made it possible for the consequences of sin in our lives to be undone. So sin, sin uh, you know, what's the simplest way to say it? I would say sin has a big I in the middle. It means it's selfishness. Uh, that's one way to look at it. So it's a, it's a slavery. It's first, it is a slavery to selfish living and harmful living, but it's, it's, that's what it is. And then um, it's, it's something that caused separation between us and God. So there's two consequences to sin. One is that we live as slaves to just serving ourselves. We make the whole world about us and not about God and not about others. We only live for us. Our hearts only beat for us, not for others, not for God. And uh, then the, the second thing is it, sin separates us from God. And in fact, it has the potential to eternally separate us from God. And so uh, we're in great danger, but here comes God with this rescue plan, this way to become reconciled to God, to come back into right relationship for sin's devastating uh, uh, consequences to be undone in our lives. It's a great thing. And so he, Paul lays out this whole rationale that through trusting in Jesus, through trusting in Jesus and what he's done for us, coming, to, coming as a baby, you know the Christmas story, living a perfect life, dying a sacrificial death on the cross on our behalf, taking all the guilt and shame for our sin on himself so that we, in exchange, can have his perfect track record with God. His perfect obedience with God will be credited to our account so that we stand before God. We don't stand there uh, covered in our guilt for everything we've done, covered in our sin and shame. We actually can stand in his righteousness, his good standing before God. That can be ours. So that's that's what's, what's the first part of the book of Colossians is talking about. And we can have all this through trusting in what Jesus has done on our behalf. We believe in what he's done. We trust in what he's done. And, uh, and then we receive this gift of salvation. Being saved from sin slavery. Being saved from sin separation from God. But it doesn't end there. We are also saved so we can live for God. We're saved so that we can live for God. Colossians 3.1 is sort of a pivotal verse. It says, so it said all that stuff about what God's done for us, and then it says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. So again, what does your heart beat for? Maybe just me. But he said, now that you've been raised by Christ, you need to have a heart change. A heart change. Set your heart on things above. Of course, you're when you realize what God has done for you, the most logical first step is to love him. He died for me. Love him. I remember years ago, uh, so I was a high school student when this happened. 
I traveled to Eston College. I was a Manitoba boy, and I, I traveled all the way to Saskatchewan, to a little town of Eston, to Eston College, because hundreds of high schoolers were streaming into that town for this special youth conference. And I got there, and it was like a Christian youth conference, and when I was there, uh, it was amazing. I'd never been to, I was a small town boy from Manitoba. I'd never seen anything like this before in my life. And I got there, and here, it was hundreds and hundreds of students in this college atmosphere just worshiping God. I mean, we had the world's most incredible band. There was this great leader, Brian Cooper was his name. He got up and he just led everybody. And we were just like, again, I went to a tiny church in a tiny town in Manitoba, and I never experienced anything like this before. And so here we are in this amazing atmosphere, and the band is amazing, and, the, and everything is just so loud. It's like, you know, it's like you'd want worship to be if you're a teenager. Just turn it up to 11, you know? Uh, sorry, Spinal Tap reference. But anyhow, it's, uh, it's just like, it was amazing. But then there was this moment. It's a moment where we went from big, loud, uh, over-the-top, enthusiastic and then just sort of went really simple and it was just like everybody on the band just started playing and everything got really quiet and then suddenly out stepped this very short small uh, college girl just with her in a microphone in this big house full of hundreds of people and she began to sing very simply one line over and over and the one line she sang was this he died for me. I'll live for him. He died for me. I'll live for him. And she just sang it over and over and over. And at first, everybody just sat there and just listened and listened. And I just thought, I remember sitting there and going, how simple and how powerful. It is. This is the gospel message. He died for us. And then he calls us to live for him. And when I was in that setting, it was just like people were, you could just see it was like light bulbs, you know, going on all over the room. It was just sort of people going. And then people who were sitting just suddenly started to stand and sing with her. She was just singing by herself at the beginning, but they started to stand and sing with her and arms raised and people recognizing the power of God to rescue them from sin and that he had a destiny for their lives and purpose. They were it was incredible. And there I was in the midst of it and just caught up in that moment of going, it's just that simple. He died for me. It only makes sense to live for him. You know, I, I'm going to talk about time today. I'm going to talk about lots of different practical things. Probably the most practical thing I could tell you today is you can make a decision today to live for him. You could respond to his death for you, for his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and that Jesus and that God raised him from the dead. All that that whole story. It's just God really wanted you to be in relationship with him. That's all that is saying again and again. He loves you so much that he would be willing to give his life for you so that you could have a relationship with God forever. Here at Hillcrest, we often take time just to commit our lives to Christ. And you could do that today, just to, for the first time. I want I want in fact I'm gonna take a moment right now so we can pray. Because maybe right now, there's something stirring inside of you. And you just say, I just got to give my life to God. And I'd love to just lead you in that. So I'm just going to pray a prayer. We pray often here. It's just a prayer of commitment for our lives. You can pray it every day. But for you, it might be the first time. So let me just lead you. I'm going I'm to pray, and I'll pause at the end of each line so you can 
You can say that yourself. Maybe you're saying that at home. Maybe you're here in house and you want to say it. If you're in house, would you just repeat it with me as a prayer of commitment for you today? Or maybe for you it's your first time and you want to say, I want to give my life to Christ. But let's just do this right now because this is what all that I'm going to say later is based on. It's on the simplicity. If he died for us, we're called to live for him. So let's take a moment and pray. Would you repeat after me if you're in-house, just join me. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Today I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you made that decision, you're online joining us today, you can, uh, you can call in at the end of the service and get somebody who would love to chat with you about that. Or you know somebody who's already made this decision. I bet they'd be thrilled to hear from you that uh, you gave your life to Christ today. All right. So this is the rationale. He died for us. We live for him. But what does it look like when it comes to our time? Uh, I'll give you another verse. And this is out of Ephesians uh, chapter 5, uh, 5 to 17. Now, the book of Ephesians, like Colossians, starts out talking about lots of other stuff. It talks about um, how we're making the most of our marriages, how we're making the most of our relationships with our children, how we're making the most of our work, like in the workplace. It talks about all those different things. But here's the verse I want to read to you. Ephesians um, 5 and verse 15 to 17. Ephesians 5, let me just flip to it in my Bible here. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. This is what it says. Be be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. All right. So be careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, and making the most of every opportunity opportunity. I memorized this when I was a kid, and when I memorized as a kid, my mom had me memorize an old version of, uh, an older translation, so it was like older English, and the words that were used there were, instead of making the most of every, every opportunity, it was redeeming the time, was the phrase. Redeeming the time. And what does redeem mean? Well, maybe, uh, redeem means to buy back, right? To buy back. Uh, so maybe you could say, you know, buy back your time. Or uh, get your time back. We would all like to get our, a lot of our time back, so we wasted in the past. Repurpose your time might be another way of thinking about it. Repurpose your time by offering it to God and for his purposes. So redeem your time or make the most of every opportunity. Be careful how you live. Now, there's three beliefs that uh, we talked about in the early um, belief part of the belief series that I think undergird this offering our time to God. Uh, first is our belief about stewardship. And here was the statement we, we, when we did Stewardship Sunday, we talked about this. We said, everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. Everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. Last week, Chris Drinden, uh 
kicked off, I think, three sermons that all have a lot in common. He talked about our spiritual gifts and using them to serve others. And so our gifts or our talents or our, our abilities, um, using them, because if they belong to God, we should use them uh, to serve God and serve others. And then what this today I'm talking about our time, using that to serve God and serve others. And, and next week I'm going to talk about, well, if you're going to say it was talents, time, you could say the next one's treasure, because I'm going to talk about money next week. I'm going to talk about using that uh, to serve God and to serve others. But they're all about stewardship. Everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. The other one was, uh, the second one was church. We talked about the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purposes on earth. So God's got a spiritual family that's not just a family, but they're also a team on mission to see people reconciled to God and to see people grow up in their relationship with God. So that's that was another thing we talked about that I think really impacts how we use our time. The other one is compassion. The statement for the Compassion Week was God calls all people to show compassion to those in need. And Jesus, uh, he told a, a, a story about how people would be, you know, their, people's lives would be judged in a certain way. And he said it was people, there's people who um, did things for other people, but they did it as to the Lord, Right? So they visited people in prison, they, uh, you know, cared for people who had needed food or clothing or all sorts of different things. And then Jesus says this killer line at the end, he just says, in as much as you did it um, for them, you did it unto me, or you did it for me, right? So basically, you, you were helping them, but you were, your heart was to serve God. Your heart was to serve God. And a lot of his perspective in our minds, like I, I'm reminded of the story, and someone shared this with me this week again, and I, I'd heard it before, but I thought it was really great. Uh, guys walking through NASA, NASA, right? And it's like a big place, and they're preparing to, you know, send shuttles into space and stuff like this. And they find this janitor, and uh, he's sweeping the floor. And so a um, guy comes over, and he just says, uh, what are you doing? Are, are you the guy who's, you know, what are you doing? You know, and you think the obvious answer is, duh, idiot, I'm sweeping the floor, right? Because can't you see the broom? See what I'm doing? And so this guy asks him this sort of dumb question, but the guy answers with this brilliant answer, and he says, I'm, I am, uh, you know, I'm sending people into space. <laughs> now you're just sweeping the floor, but no, he, this guy had got the bigger vision. He got that there was more to what he was doing. That even those small things that he was doing, he's saying, I'm doing it for a much greater cause. And Christians are like that too. So yeah, you're sweeping the floor. Yeah, you're helping someone with this or that or the other thing. But you know, I'm doing it unto God. I'm advancing his kingdom. I'm representing his kingdom. I'm, uh, I'm serving, even in my workplace or anywhere that you have an opportunity to work, you do it as unto the Lord. Um, in our Believes readings, Believe readings this week, we had a couple great illustrations uh, the one that Val read this morning is the story of Jesus, right? He's lost. He's 12 years old. Uh, it's the only story we get from sort of those young years about Jesus. And Mary and Joseph don't know where he is, and they panic just like any parent would. And they've been three days without their kid. I can't believe they didn't know where he was. Anyhow, so they go back and they, they look for him amongst the friends and relatives because that's the obvious location. That's, duh, that's normal. He should be with our friends, or our relatives. So that's where they look for him. And then they don't find him in the normal location. They find him among the teachers in the temple. And it says that that was astonishing to them. 
They're like, this is not where we thought we'd find you. This is, this is astonishing to us. And um, they're astonished to find him where they did. Of course, they expected to find him where he normally Every 12-year-old kid should be with friends and family, but here he was in this other location. Um, is there anything astonishing about your schedule that indicates that you're living for God rather than living for yourself? I mean, are you advancing God's priorities or your own? That's, I just want to get to that question. What are the things in your schedule that say that? If you were to look at, you know, what you do in a week or what you do in a month, or, is there anything that declares that he died for me, so I'm living for him? Is there things that you can say, look at in what I do, in, in how I plan my life and how I schedule things, there's evidence that I'm not just living for myself. There's things. Now, I'm not, it doesn't, like, I'm talking, some of them are very simple things, Right? You know, I don't really like helping my neighbor natural, in the natural. That's, you know, I, I'm indifferent or I'm apathetic, but you know what? I want, I'm helping my neighbor because I'm, I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus, right? Or I'm, I'm teaming up with people in the church to advance God's purposes in the world. That's not my natural bent. But here's this astonishing thing happening in my schedule. I, mean, I like how Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And the obvious answer is, no, we didn't know that, Jesus. <laughs> right? You can imagine parents' frustration. <laughs> Where do people you who know you expect to find you? I mean, what's the expectation? Would they be astonished if you're offering your time to advance God's purposes in some way? Or would they be astonished that you're not? I mean, let's just think about our, our lives. Let's just think about these things. Haggai, uh, in Haggai, there's another great illustration out of our readings this week, and it was Haggai 1, and I'll just read verses 3 to 5. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet, through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give, give careful thoughts. Give careful thought to your ways. What was astonishing about the Israelites? There's something astonishing, and God himself is the one who seems like he's, in the voice he's giving to it is that he's astonished. It's, is this time to be making sure your houses are all up to snuff and just getting the final details done on your houses? Because that's what was happening. But they totally, they're supposed to build the temple. The temple for the Israelites was very important because it was the, it was the presence of God would come and dwell in the temple. Now today, it's not like that. The, the, the Spirit of God can come inside of a person, right? When you give your life to Christ, he comes to indwell you. Okay? Not the same. But back then, it wasn't, there was, a, there was something that recognized that sin had really wrecked the world and that God wanted to be close to people, but there was limits to it. And so the temple was really important. Build the temple. God comes in to all that. And, and, uh, but they had neglected it for years. I mean, they'd got to the point where they're like, man, we've, we've built our houses. We've built everything else. Maybe we should, you know, get some paneling in here. Now, I guess paneling was a big deal back then. It seems like maybe more of a, what, 60s or 70s deal when we think of it. But, you know, paneling was, must have been a big, amazing thing to have in your house back in that day. And God's like, 
You're doing paneling? Seriously? You're just doing the very final details of, it, of, of establishing your kingdom on earth. And, not, and you have totally neglected the basic details of advancing God's purposes on earth. And so he, there's a rebuke. You, you're the Israelites. You're the people who are showing the world who God is. But it's astonishing, because if people came to town, they'd see how awesome your houses are and how there's no temple to God. And if you said, yeah, we worship Yahweh, or we worship Jehovah, or we worship this God who saved us from Egypt and he's done all these things, you'd say, well, show me the evidence. You didn't even build a house for him. Your houses look awesome. There's not much evidence that you are these people of God that you claim to be. So, what are we prioritizing? The final touches on our kingdom or the essentials of his kingdom? Again, I like the question that's asked. Is it a time? Is it a time? The Bible's not like, like just in case, you know, you might feel a little, I don't want this to be a beat-down type of message. I want this to be positive. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, am I in the right spot for that? Yeah, I think so. You know the song, though, for sure, don't you? In everything, there is a season. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to live, a time to die, a time to... And it's a huge list of all these things that there's a time for. There's times for everything. This is not saying you can't renovate your house, or that renovations are evil. This is just saying there's times for things. And, and, and some things take priority at different, at different seasons of life. So, yeah, maybe there's a time to put up the paneling, or maybe take down the paneling, depending on how you feel about paneling. There maybe is a time for that. There is a time for those things. But if there's no evidence that, you're a, that you are who God died to make you, a person who offers their time for God's purposes, then maybe that, maybe that time for the paneling is not quite yet, and this other area needs the attention that it should be given. I remember hearing a story years ago. It was about business leaders coming together, and there was a consultant in there who was going to teach them all his uh, tips and tricks and stuff like that, and he was illustrating the one day. Uh, he says, let's talk about your schedules, guys, you know, and men and women or whatever who's there. Let's talk about your schedules. And so he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just uh, I'm gonna do something here. So he pulls out this big glass jar. It's huge, this jar. And then from under the table, he pulls out these rocks, big, you know, softball-sized rocks, and he starts putting them in the jar, putting them in the jar, putting them in the jar. And he does it until he's, he's got them all the way up to the top. And he says to everybody, okay, guys, is it full? And people look at the jar, and they think, you ain't going to get another one of the softball-sized rocks in that jar. And so they say, yes, it's full, right? You know, oh, it must be a rhetorical question. Duh, it's full. And he says, really? It's full? Yeah. And so then he pulls a bag from under the table, and it's, it's gravel. And he pours it into the jar, and gravel goes in all between these big rocks. And then they're all like, oh, I guess it wasn't full. And then he says, so, now, is it full? And they're like, yeah, now it's full. Ah, so he goes under the table again. He grabs a big bag of sand, and he starts pouring that in. And the sand gets in all the spaces between all the gravel and the big rocks and fills it up. And then he says, is it full now? And now people are onto him, and they're like, maybe. <laughs> you know, like, is there, is there one more step? Like, is he fooling us? We don't know what's going on. And so some guys are like, yeah, I, I think it is full. It looked like I, can, I can't even see anything through there. I can't see through the jar at all. I think it's full. Ah, under the table he goes, up comes with a water pitcher and pours and, you know, again, there was a little more room. Only water could find it and he, you know, 
Anyhow, so then at the end he says, what's the lesson? And immediately all these business A-type leaders, they're like, we know the lesson. So they're putting up their hands. And one guy just says, no matter how full your schedule is, you can always fit something more in. And he looks smart, you know, smart looking at his buddies, and they're all like, yeah, high five, that's right. And then the, the consultant says, no. The lesson is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. So, I want to just talk about the big rocks. The big rocks, putting the big rocks in our lives. There's a lot of, there's a lot of gravel, sand, and water, or things that can just fill up our lives. So I, I, we just realized, I didn't have time to offer my life for God's purposes. I didn't have time to, to give myself to things that really matter. I, I, I filled up my life already. My schedule's already very full. Um, when you look, again, I'll read it one more time, Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, whether in word or do, deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let's say this morning you actually gave your life to Christ when we prayed. It was, you gave your life to Christ, and you're going, my life's already full. It's totally scheduled to the hill, just like most people's lives are. We're very, you know, that's normal in North America. We, our lives can be quite busy. So saying, well, what do I do? You, I, I'm talking to people this morning, and maybe you need a major adjustment, or you need a minor adjustment. But I bet all of us could make some adjustment, or probably we can recognize that. So if a major adjustment would be like, my life does not currently evidence that I belong to God. What are the big rocks I should be putting in? Let me just talk about a few of the big rocks that I think you might want to consider if you need to make a major adjustment, right? It's sort of like in the renovating terms, you're stripping it down to the studs and rebuilding it, okay? So if you need to make that major of adjustment, let me just talk about what the big, some of the big rocks could possibly be, okay? Um, so maybe you're doing big replacements. So you're saying, man, I just realized I don't need to finish that Netflix series. I need to start reading my Bible. Or I need to, I don't, I don't, you know, maybe I shouldn't spend every morning reading up on the stock market. Maybe I should be in prayer. Or, you know, maybe you're seeing a big rock replacement scenario happening in many parts of your schedule. So um, let me give you a few things. Um, how about giving attention to your marriage? Right? That's pretty important. If you are married, that's a really important relationship. God's idea, it was God's idea to have marriages. He, he did the first one, Adam and Eve, and, uh, and he, he wants your marriage to do well. So maybe that's, uh, that's a big rock. Okay? So I, wouldn't, I will start with that one. Okay, where does giving attention to your marriage fit? Let me give you a few more. Where does being there for your family fit? Okay? So I don't know, you know, we can get really, uh, you know, distanced as families, whether we live together or, you know, maybe you don't live with your family now, but, but there's, where does that fit, right? Where does being there for, for my family? Where does praying for others fit, right? You're looking at your schedule. Where does praying for others fit? Maybe it's just a few people that God will put on your heart for you to pray for. Maybe you don't even know how to pray. It's just simply talking to God. Just talk to God like you would to another person. God, I really care about Bob, and he's having a hard time. Could you help Bob? Yeah, exactly. There. Could you help Bob, right? So it's just that simple. Where does that fit in your life? Where does serving others fit? Wow. You know what? When, when we give our lives to God, we become servants to others for his sake. In fact, Christians are meant to serve 
in this world? Where does that fit? Where does teaming up with the church to accomplish God's purposes together fit? Is there a way that you can serve in the church and with the church as a team accomplishing God's purpose? Where does the Sabbath fit? Right, the Sabbath. So six days shalt thou labor. I'm quoting out of an old King James Version. And the seventh day is the day of rest unto the Lord. So, you know, we're, it's not just that God's, this isn't, the message today is not like ramp up your life so that it's super busy and that you do all these things. It's actually, there's a huge component in following God that you're called to rest, to, de- to deep rest, one day of the week to set that aside and say, this is a day unto the Lord. And it's not a day unto the Lord of doing a thousand things. It's actually a day of rest. Where does that fit? If you're going to live as a person of God, that that needs to be something in the, in the picture. So maybe it's a major adjustment where you're replacing some things that you say, well, I'm, I'm replacing an unhealthy practice with a healthy one. That's a major upgrade. I mean, that's a, you first had addition by subtraction, then you had addition by addition. You, you, that's a double. That's a double, right? The other is minor adjustments. So you say, I, I'm living for God. I, I, when you went through that list, you know, my marriage, my family, praying for others, serving others, teaming up with the church, Sabbath, stuff like that. I could see most of those things in there. Maybe there's something I really need to, you know, uh, find a spot for, or I need to prioritize that. And so, um, you know what, I, I often encourage, because I have a busy life, I often try to say, is there ways I can do a, uh, I call it a double up, right? A double up. I'm doing something, but I could repurpose it in such a way that it actually serves God's purposes better. For example, a big keystone habit, a good one, for families is have supper together. That's hard to do, but if you can do it, that's awesome. If you're already there, you got everyone at the table, why not read the Bible? Why not read the Bible? You could take the Believe book, you know, the reading plan we've been giving out to people, and you could just sort of look for, you know, something in there, and you say, oh, here's a story. I'll read this story to my kids or to my family. You know, just double up that thing. You say, I, lo- I love to go for a run. Well, d- put your headphones in and listen to scripture or a devotional or worship music, right? Some of you commute to Regina for jobs, right? That's time that could be repurposed and be re, uh, you know, redeemed, really. Get that back for God, right? Lots of different ways that you can uh, do those things. What about when you're showering? Maybe there's, uh, depending on how long you shower, uh, you could listen to something or, or um, uh, use that time to pray. All sorts of different things you can uh, do to, to double up. But sometimes it's, it's just uh, finding something and saying, um, I can repurpose this, or I can fit this in, in a space, and these are the things that I really want uh, to be known for. Let me give you this. These, i got two last verses as I close here today. Jesus told his followers in Matthew 6.33 to seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, the good thing is God knows what you need, God knows what you need. We spend a lot of time worrying about the things that we need. And one of the things followers of Jesus is told not to do is not to worry, not to live in weary, but actually to trust God that he knows what you need and that he's interested in providing the things that you need. Now, not everything you want, so I don't know if that sailboat is what you need, right? But whatever it is, he knows what you need. So if you can trust him with your needs, then it's easier to seek first his kingdom. And make that our priority. Make the thing that we go after. And God, this is a kind thing for God to write because he knows how disappointed we'll be if we're standing before him one day and realize 
that we didn't invest well for eternity. We didn't invest in the things that matter long term. We didn't spend this life loving God passionately and loving others out of that outflow of relationship with him. There'll be a disappointment in that for us. I mean, heaven's going to be wonderful and all those things, but I really think there is going to be a moment where we'll, we'll have to reckon with, oh, that life, there were elements, you know, it'll, I think it'll stand out where you invested in eternal things and where you didn't. And so I think God wants to, uh, for us to have great joy in that day because we lived our lives in a way that represented we belong to him. All right, here's the last verse, and then I'm going to pray with you. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. So even your job, everything you do, all the dirty jobs, all the things you have to do, you can't get out of them. You say, I'd like to replace that for something for God. If you just can't get out of them, then just do it for God. Just do it for God. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much um, that you have saved us from slavery of sin, from the separation of sin, but you haven't just saved us from things. You've saved us for a life with you. You've saved us for a transformation of our perspective and a, and a heart that doesn't just beat for us alone, but that cares deeply for the things that you care about. So Lord, I pray that we would use our lives to love you with all of our heart, and then out of that, we would um, we'd serve others. We'd love others. I thank you that you've uh, called the Christians in Moose Jaw to be people for this city, not just for themselves, but for the city, for the people of this city. And I, I thank you that uh, you have already demonstrated how it works. Your sacrifice, your giving of yourself is the model we look to. It's the example that we, we follow. You gave yourself for us. Now we, in turn, can give ourselves back to you and give ourselves for others. So Lord, help us. When we look at our schedule this week, when we look at really practical time crunch issues, when we look at uh, um, maybe exchanging something for another or, or finding a way to double up some sort of part of our, our um, uh, calendar, would you help us repurpose those things? And Lord, I pray there'd be some margin in this calendar. I pray there'd be some margin so that when something comes up, it's just an opportune moment where you're in something that interrupts that we don't just slough it aside, but that we see with spiritual eyes that you've brought something to us that enables your purposes to go forward in the world. And we're able to seize that because we've been wise and we've given careful thought to our ways. Lord, help us to walk with wisdom in this life, this one and only life we have to live for you. We ask that in your name.